0: So have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and the Old Testament? Or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible School is all about. We're going to go through the Bible and we're going to talk about the semantics of the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. What's going on, good people, and welcome to Bible School. I'm Reverend Kojo. Y'all, we are in Revelation fifteen. We are trucking through this this book, and and it has been blessing me. That you know, the whole reason I started Bible school is because I wanted to become a better teacher of the word. I wanted a better knowledge of the word, and so this this podcast requires me to study on a level that doesn't. I'm not required to to teach um, in my various contexts, and so I've been really, really fed. Very, very. Very much so, um, digging deeper, um, kind of like our, our tagline says at the beginning of the podcast. But it's really been blessing me. I hope that it's been blessing you. Um, if it has, leave a comment on the website, uh, shoot us a, an email. Let me know how Bible school is affecting you. Um, you know, I'm trying to make some decisions on whether, what, you know, where we're we going after we return to Genesis. Um, should we go straight to Exodus or should we, should we kind of jump jump around or what are we going to do? Um, I think Exodus might be fun. We'll just have to see, but I will say it's blessing my, my spiritual life. If it's not blessing my preaching, um, it's definitely making me seek the face of God, um, in a way that I'm grateful for all that, all that said, let me know how it's affecting you. All right. Revelation 15. We're in revelation four 15. It is the shortest book. Uh, it is the shortest chapter in the book. I apologize. Now we're entering into the climax of the 70th 70th week we're entering into. We are finally at the end of that parenthesis and we are moving into these signs and and bowls and uh, things being poured out. We're we're out of judgment and we are into wrath. Uh, For the last little while, we've been uh, dealing with a tempered Jesus or a tempered God and and you know, we've, been, we've been playing with the idea of what happens when the great restrainer leaves. What happens when the Holy Spirit is not holding back evil? Uh, but what happens when the mercy of God is no longer present? Everybody he would be merciful for, everybody who he has extended grace to is no longer in the picture. What happens when the wrath of God is poured out towards sin? What does that look like? And that's something that I think a lot of Christians, a lot of us who have grown up with this this image and this relationship with this merciful God, we struggle to wrap our heads around it. What does it look like when when mercy leaves? When grace is not being poured out, what does the wrath of God unretained look like? and uh we in 15 and 16 and in, in 17 we're going to see what the wrath of god looks like and and I, I feel like I said it at least once in an episode I'm glad I'm not gonna be there oh god I'm glad i'm I'm not gonna I'm so glad I'm free I'm so glad I'm saved I'm so glad i'm'm deli- I'm, I'm glad you know um and I think that's that's a question we have to ask ourselves is 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 the wrath of god worth it And the answer for me is no, (laughs) no, I'm not interested. All right. But we're moving on. Uh, Revelation 15 for Revelation 15. Let's start reading at verse one. We find these words. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Now, okay. I want, I want to breach this and we need to breach this quickly or soon first um, that there is a difference between the judgment of God and the wrath of God It's different levels. The judgment of God is isn't an in him an, an idea or a uh indictment to change. The judgment of God, and I know we talk about it only God can judge me. You know, everybody they like to do that. But I want you to understand that the judgment of God comes so that there'll be a shifting. Okay. He judges you uh so that you can take that judgment and um uh, make a shift, make a change. Okay. The judgment of God is based off what you do. The wrath of God is the reaction to what you did. Okay. The judgment of God says you did this, if then that the wrath of God is the pouring out of his frustration toward your obstinance. So the judgment of God holds back. It holds back what he, how he really wants to react because there's yet hope. Okay, it holds out his full reaction. The judgment of God says, I don't like what you did. And since I don't like what you did, I'm doing this. But if you'll change, if you'll turn, if these things will happen, uh, maybe you can be spared. The wrath of God is the reaction to what you did, uninhibited. It's not held back. It's not, you think about it the judgments, the trumpet judgments, are going to, are very similar to the bowls of wrath. But the difference between the trumpet judgments is he only rolls out a third. It'll affect, affect, um, affect a third of the earth. Each of those seven judgments, it affects a third of the earth. It affects a third of the mankind. It affects a third. There's there's only a percentage that's, that's, that's affected. So maybe it'll get your attention and say, all right, let me turn this around. The wrath of God is birthed out of reprobation. Reprobation is like when you've become so hardened that you can't hear, that your heart won't soften. It's birth out of reprobation. And when, when reprobation has run its proper course, you get the wrath of God. And because the wrath of God can burn through that which is reprobate. You think about repro- what reprobation really is, is when you become so callous that you can't receive the, 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 the pain of the spanking. You become so calloused that it doesn't, it doesn't work. My great grandfather, of whom I've never met, but I hear a lot of stories about him. Apparently when he, we walked in the room, his hands were so calloused or so reprobate that he could put the fire out between his fingers and not feel the fire. His hands were so hard that he could touch fire and it did not hurt. And so we would say that his fingers were reprobate, the nerve endings, the things that should cause pain and cause you to rear back in in, in disgust and to turn they were gone. So so it is reprobation that inflicts, that causes the wrath of God. See, the judgment of God comes so that hopefully you will shift. And for most, it causes a shift. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. Israel is obstinate. Israel does something crazy. Israel does something and God sends judgment. All throughout the book of Judges, he sends judgment. They come back to God. And so they never impact. They don't get the wrath of God, but then they fall off again. And when they fall off again, God judges them. Book of Judges. Come on now, yeah. Come on, catch up. <laughs> they they go to the the they, they they he he judges them, and then when he judges them, they come back to God. They turn from their wicked ways, and then so they don't they don't ever make it to wrath, but they do fall back off. And so here what here what happens after we've gone through all of this time, all these chapters. And they ain't turned. Some of them have. we rejoiced over the 144,000. We've rejoiced over the, the number that we looked, and there wasn't enough to number, but there was some yet that remained on the earth, and they couldn't see it. Now, verse 15 also talks of, of another sign, okay? That connects this book back to chapter 12. All right, the woman, the man child. It presents a new series of sorts. You remember? In 12, we got this woman, this man child, was a type of Israel. And all of these things appear, okay. This another sign is another series that we're about to open. We're about to see some some other things happening in heaven, and and it gives us something. Now, I also want you to see this this re, uh, recapitulation style, and much like Genesis, okay, Genesis one. How in Genesis one he tells the story of creation, but in two he comes back and gives us more detail, okay. That's kind of what we're seeing here. He he came back and in and, and he's he's re. Um, uh, he's rehashing over what he's, he, what he's doing, what, what's happening. He's giving us more detail. Um, uh, I want you to notice that style, uh, because it happens throughout the Bible. Um, but he, but he, he, he gives us a, a eye into it. And I want you to notice the similarity between the trumpet judgments and the bowls of judgments. I want you to notice how similar they are. Um, how almost they are almost the same thing. And the only difference is how much of the earth is affected. Who's held back and who's not. Okay. Now, I want you also see this uh, where he says, For in them is the filled up of the wrath of God. In them, now the original text would suggest that those words in them, that the wrath, when it's filled, was complete wrath. All right, it's not held back. It's not, it's not an incomplete wrath, it's a finished wrath. It is a tattoo wrath. It is, it is a wrath that when he pours it out, it is a consummation of all things that it is a finishing of all things, that it, it, it seals all that he, he is, he has done and all that he's doing. All right. Um, and, and I want you to also notice this, you know, verse 15 says, I I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, um, great and marvelous seven angels in the seven last plagues for in them is filled up the wrath of God. I want you to notice that these are things that are happening. To lead us to that, indeed, that, that, you know, I said it was the finished. It was, it was to tell us that it was, it was a final finale, a finale, I'm sorry, a finale of sorts. Um, But I I want us to think, think of it along these lines. Psalm 1 says, you know, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit at thy right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. What's happening is, is we talked about the lamb last time in 14. What he's doing is as he's pouring out, he's talking about this wrath. He's getting ready to pour out. He's doing Psalm 110. All right. He says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemy of my footstools. As he's pouring out his wrath, he's making the enemies of Jesus Christ his footstools. Because where is Jesus? Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty right now. And then in this text, he's sitting at the right hand of God, the father almighty. And we are sitting there up in heaven and I'm in the mansions, praising the Lord and singing new songs and all of that good stuff. We're doing all these things. But in Psalm 110, we see that's what's getting ready to happen. He's saying, he's telling, talking to Jesus, sit at my right hand. And while you sit at my right hand, eventually I'm going to get up and I'm going to make the folk who scoffed at you. The folks who refused to worship you. The people who refused to bow down and and, and and fell to the by the way and to the way of that old nasty Satan, I'm gonna make them your footstool. And then when I make you the, the, the your footstool, at this moment, when I make them the footstool, then we're gonna reign on Zion, like I told you about last chapter. Okay? Let's move on, verse two. And I saw it as it were, a glass, a sea of glass mingled with fire them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. Now I know we've been talking a lot about things being literal here and we've been breaking down the difference between the idioms and the things that are literal. We see this word as it were, or this phrase as it were that tells us this is an idi- an idiom. Um, now we also saw the glassy sea in chapter four when the 24 elders were standing on it. Okay. Now, I want you to, this sea of glass, we've seen it right here in heaven, like right there in chapter four, before the throne of heaven, the 24 elders were standing on it. Now, want you think about it, remember we related it back to the labor in the tabernacle, okay, where, where we washed after we had, we had made our sacrifice. I'm think about it. They're standing on it. This thing, this idiom of such, we washed in it. It cleansed us. And now we stand on it. It sounds like the word of God. Um, the word of God that is the word that is Jesus, but the word of God that is what He has said. Um, so this idiom of this glass, it washed us, it cleansed us, all the all the blood, Oh, all oh this Jesus. We're standing on His shoulders, we're standing on His testimony, we're standing on His word, and on all that He is and all that He is. Um, this sea of glass, you remember, and and, and the sea of glass. I also I want you to relate it there to heaven, but I also want you to relate it back to the very very beginning of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and, of, and the earth and the earth was without form and it was void. And the spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the deep. We see the spirit of God uh, mentioned in tandem with water. Uh, we're standing on, on him. We're standing on on him. We're standing in on his shoulders. It is by him. We were washed. It was by him that we are cleansed. And it's by him that we can get a level footing on something that we should not be able to stand on. Okay. Are you following me? We're standing on his, his majesty and in, in his presence, we are, we are not clean enough to stand in, in heaven. There is nothing in our own ability that would qualify us for heaven, but we're standing on him. Standing on his his shoulders. Okay. Now, now those who you know who stood with God I can stand on his his word and a proclamation of victory. Now, I want you to notice that if you're reading from the NIV, because you're probably saying it would make it simpler for me to understand Revelation, that Revelation, uh in the NIV, at this particular verse, it 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 reads where it says they're standing beside him. Okay. Uh my presumption about this is that the more accurate translation is going to be that they're standing on it because we can stand beside a lot of things. And as we stand beside a lot of things, we can, we can ascertain that we've won the victory or we've done X, Y, Z, but standing on it, it gives us this, um, sense of authority, this sense of accomplishment. We don't stand beside certain things. We don't stand beside the word of God. We stand on the word of God. Okay. It's not a great feat to stand beside somebody, but to stand on their shoulders. We don't grow until we're standing on the shoulders of somebody else. Okay. So let's just be thinking about that. And we tend to, you know, we, we, um, we tend to lose, I guess, meaning and authority and, and, and things in scripture when we, when we start to, to lose the original meanings. And I'm going to say that I'm just going to move out of that airspace. I don't want to really get into that argument today. Now, I want you to also notice this here, that those who had the victory over the beast in this verse, they were losers on the earth. Okay. Let's read the verse again. He said, and I saw it as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that got the victory over the, over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over his number, of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. We're standing on the word of God. We're standing on the shoulders of God. We're standing in worship of God. These guys are martyrs. These guys won the victory over the Satan. They did not fall to his snare or to his tricks. They were not succumb. They did not, were not succumb to the lie. They stood gladly and boldly before the throne of grace. They knew what God wanted them. They understood where they were supposed to be. And see, the thing is, is that they stood in victory where on earth they were seen as losers on earth. They were seen as less than on earth, they were seen as victorious. Um, I mean, no, I'm sorry. I didn't know. They were not seen as victorious. They were seen as the scum. They were seen as crazy. And they were seen as all of these things that that we we, we try to stray away from. And, and the reason that a lot of us don't like to talk about our faith in certain spaces is because they may think that I'm crazy. The reason we stay away from talking about certain passages like the Revelation Or like talking about like these chapters because we're afraid that it may scare somebody away from Christ. Where they were seen as nutty, when they made it to heaven, they were seen as martyrs. They were seen as victorious. They were seen as what God called them to be. And I want you to just take a moment and understand that sometimes we presume that our perceptions and illusions are reality because of what we can see. We trust our senses. We trust what's around us. We trust what we can see. We trust our experiences. And, and a lot of that is good, but every now and then your experiences do not shape you because you are not omniscient because you do not have the whole story because you do not know what it is. God is trying to show you and make apparent to you. And so a lot of times what happens is we begin to presume that what we perceive about life and what we perceive about our experiences is, is the end all be all. And that's just not always the case. Because these guys had had, a, had a, a misconstrued image of themselves, but it was not what God was trying to convey from them, to them at the beginning. Now, I want you to remember that each of the churches in the seven letters of the seven churches had a misperception of themselves. Those who thought they were on top of the world were failing. And those of them who thought that they were hated by God or suffering, they were those that God had nothing negative to say about. And so with that understanding, I need you to understand that although things seem dismal, although things may not be yet, although it doesn't look good to be a Christian, and although it may not be popular, and although the people in your town don't understand why y'all go to church on Sunday morning instead of going to brunch, although those those things may be true in your experience, that doesn't mean that they're true in the experience of God and what you'll experience when you do make it to the great by and by. Let's move on. Verse three. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works. Lord God Almighty, just and true in thy ways, and thou King of saints. Now the song of Moses. Uh, is actually, actually in Exodus 15, one through 21 is also in, in Deuteronomy 32. I want you to know this though, and this is important. And I, and I like to put, I like you to, to understand this, that the son of Moses was given before the law was brought down. So that's not something that is specific to the Jews. All right. Now in these praises, I also want you to notice that it was never mentioned of the works of the martyrs. This was a direct praise to the Lord. I think that that's like a, that's a, a, a great lesson for us to learn a, a great thing for us to notice that when they praised God, when they sang the song of Moses, when they came and they worshiped God, even though they had martyrs among them, that the praise was not directed at man, it doesn't matter how good that man can preach. It doesn't matter how good that man makes you feel. It doesn't matter where they put you. It doesn't matter how, how they place you. It, it does not matter because it, it, it The direct, the praise to always point to Calvary because the man is always broken. The man can, ne- can never, never, well, will never be worthy of the glory that belongs only to God Almighty. Also, want you to remember that the book of Revelation is not just an unveiling. Uh, it's not an unveiling of wrath, okay? It is an unveiling of Jesus Christ everything else is incidental. The wrath is incidental. The judgments are incidental. The, the, the coming world leader, the, the, the satanic Trinity, um, uh, the, everything else is, 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 is incidental. This is not multiple revelations. This is not revelations. This is the revelation. And this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay. And as it is the revelation of Jesus Christ, that it is all about him. And I think sometimes we we get that mixed up and we, we like to come to a place where we think that it's about us or it's about my experiences and, and, and woe unto me and, and all of these things. But the truth of the matter is that it's not about us. The worship is for him. And I know a lot of times we want to be patted on the back. Boy, I went through this. My, I had this life experience and, and this broke me down and my life hurts and this sucks. And, and, and uh, man, why can't nobody, why, why aren't they talking about what I did? Why is nobody paying me for what I did? Why can't anybody see what I did, how I did it, the degree that I got and the, 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 the woman that I got, you know, all of these things. We, we, want, we want to be acknowledged for what we did. But it's not about us. And I just want to make sure we remember that it's not about us. The Song of Moses, these praises right here are not about the martyrs. The martyrs are there. They endured. But the praise is not for them. Okay. Verse 4. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou art only, art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee. For thy judgments are made manifest. Okay. Let's read that again. He said, who shall fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou art only holy. Thou art only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee. Uh, for thy judgments are made manifest. There is less fear of God than ever in history. Even among the believers. Okay. Okay which is crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy, (laughs) but there's less fear of God. You know, what's crazy is, is early in my life, people had a respect for the church. They, I mean, there was a respect for the built, the building and people who believed in God. Now people rob the church just like they rob a house. Um, there was a respect for people when they rode by the church, they turned down the loud music. If it was filed derogatory or secular, now they ride through just like not, not anything else. There was there because but they people didn't do it for the respect of the building, but they did it respect for the God that that resided in the building. But was I think more disturbing is not about the people who ride by the church, but the people who ride in the church. When you have people who don't know how to respect the house, people who don't know how to stop and stand still when we pray, people who do not reverence, reverence the presence of God, they don't reverence the experience of God, people who and, and I think most of us, some of us are guilty when when we get a text message in the middle of our prayer we check the text message and then resume our prayer our reverence for the presence of god has become so weak and then you know you know and, and I, I i think it kind of exposes our futility and even the nations have gotten away from worshiping god even israel i meet more and more agnostic uh, jews by the day more and more atheist jews now that sounds like a, a paradox Sounds like an oxymoron, but you know, more and more know what God requires, but don't believe in his deity. That's scary. That's scary. But it exposes who we are. And, 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 and I think when he asked this question, he says, who shall not fear Thee, O Lord and glorify the name? The truth is all those people down on earth, those earth dwellers for thou art only holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. So the nations that refuse to worship are going to be required of it. They've been worshiping Satan. They've been bowing down before him and they've pledged their allegiance. But he's saying, oh, no, the day is coming where you are not going to have a choice. And you will worship me in spirit and in truth. Period. Then he says, and after I, that, I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of it, the testimony in heaven was opened. Now, the temple is mentioned 15 times in this book. It, and I want you to notice that it's never mentioned while the church is on the earth. It's not mentioned before chapter four. When the church is raptured, he says, come up here. Then they start talking, having tabernacle talk. That tells us again that there is a differentiation between the periods. When the church is there, the Jewish, the Jewish rules and laws are not necessarily in full effect. Okay. The Jews and the Gentiles that you, that you have the church and we come together and we're united for a period, the period we're living in now. And then once the church is removed, then times shift, expectations shift. Okay. But I want you to see this in Exodus 2440, we, we see, we see something unveiled and, 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 and it says in Exodus 2440, he says, and look that thou make them after their pattern. Which he was shown the, on the mount. This temple, of a tabernacle of a testimony in heaven is the original. A lot of times people want to look to the tabernacle or look to the temple, as an understanding that um, that those were the originals because they're the originals on earth. Um, our our understanding is is only earth realmish, but what Moses built, and had them build, was built based off of what he saw when he, when God let him see what was in heaven. Okay. He let him see what was in heaven. Don't believe me. Let's go to Hebrews nine, Hebrews nine, verse 23. We see, we see this. It says it was necessary that the, but that the pattern of things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than this. We let, we're living in a simulation. I know that's rough to understand. And you're like, Oh man, Reverend Kojo has lost it today, but we're living in a simulation. And I've kind of believed that for a little bit. What we're living in is just a test. It's just a simulation. Uh, we're all, you know, there are 10 dimensions we live in. We only understand four. But we're living in a simulation. And really, the truth of the matter is, is that what is in heaven is much grander, much grandiose, much more complete, much more beautiful, much more total than anything that is on earth. And we are only able to make things that are beautiful here that are replicas of those things that which are in heaven. And I would beg to offer, to beg to say that the things that we deem beautiful, are don't even come close to what God has erected in heaven. That's just, you know, what I presume. Let's move on, verse six. And then seven angels came out of the temple, having seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen. And having their breasts girded with golden girdles, they're clothed with linen. Now, another uh reading says that they were clothed with precious stone. Regardless, they are clothed in something that is deemed holy. Now, we know that in, in, in um Old Testament that the the um the priest would be clothed in linen because linen doesn't hold oil. And so that they could pour the oil on them and it would run down their bodies. And as it ran down their bodies, it could run down to the and It could run down to the people. Okay. Um, but, they, so, but regardless, they're, whether they're clothed in linen or they're clothed in precious stone, they're, whole, they're clothed in holiness. All right. They, they, we, we, see, we see holiness. Verse 7. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. I want you to think these beasts are not the beasts that came up out of the Abusos <laughs> or the sea of the water. These, these beasts are not that we're not talking about the demonic Trinity right now. We're talking about the four living creatures, not Ethereon, but the Zoa, the four angels we talked about earlier before the beast showed the, the nasty beast showed up. Okay. Now I also want you to think of this. When we think of vile, we think of something tall and narrow. We can understand this to be more like, uh, what's in the temple, which is shaped more like a bowl or a saucer. Okay, it's more um, wide than it is tall, which is interesting that they translated that file, but I digress. Verse 8, And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Remember last time we talked about the Shekinah glory. And the Shekinah glory fell. We, we we that feel that smoke that is coming from the glory of God. That is the Shekinah glory. God is active and working. He is moving and he is working out his wrath. And I think dealing with understanding God pouring out wrath is difficult to wrap my head around. And I would imagine it's difficult for you to wrap yours around because we know God to be loving and gracious. But he's loving and gracious because we've been loving toward him. And even in, in our lack of understanding of love or being able to show perfect love, we, we took a step toward him. And when we could take a step toward him, he'd take a hundred toward us. we take another step toward him, he'd take another hundred toward us. And so even though we could never come to where he is, remember that he built a tabernacle, he came down to us. And 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 then after that, he built that tabernacle, he built a tabernacle, and he called him Jesus. And he came down and he dwelt among us. Um, but when people refuse to identify or to worship or to acknowledge him and all of his deity. We've encountered this wrath for the sin that they've committed because God doesn't like sin. And uh, that's, that's where we are. Now, when 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 this wrath was about to be poured out, no one could enter the temple. No no one could enter the temple. Um, this wrath was being poured out. And this is not something that he wanted his redeemed to see. That's why he removed us from the earth. That's why we couldn't go in a temple up in heaven. Because when he poured out his wrath, he didn't want he didn't want us to see this. Because we've been shielded and protected. And just like he like we protect the innocent of our children. We try to. He didn't want us to see this. It's something that God suffers in alone. He closes the door behind us or behind him until it's over. And then he comes back and he dwells among his people. Um and I, you know, I, 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 think of this as synonymous to Yom Kippur, which is a Jewish holiday. Um, it's the Day of Atonement. We hear about, it, we read about it in Leviticus 16. Um, in, in Leviticus 16, around verse 12, we find these words, and he says, "He shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar, from before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small, and bring it within the veil." And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat, that it is upon the testimony that he die not. And so this, 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 this concept of atonement is that when God is pouring out wrath, he's, he's trying to deal with sin. It's not something that he deals with lightly. And so he has he has Aaron go and, and bring something that that, that that will protect him of sorts. He has to put a center full of coals and he's, you know, from all the altar and he has to bring the incense, the prayers, uh, beaten small and to bring it with him, uh, within the veil and to put it before the fire of the Lord so that he may not die, but that God can deal with the sin and deal with it appropriately. God is not, he, he does not exist well with sin. Sin does not, God and sin do not work well. And so he is pouring out his, his wrath to destroy it. He is making an end to sin. And and I know another piece of this that's difficult to deal with is that this is proceeding from God. You know, up until this point, a lot of this has been proceeding from Satan. We see Satan act a nut, and Satan kills the witnesses, and Satan, he tells a lie. He's putting seals on people, and he's uh, wreaking havoc, and all this stuff is happening on the earth. that this is not from the enmity of man or from Satan. This is God dealing with sin. This is God triumphing on our behalf. This is... God making right, which he promised he would make right in the beginning. And, uh, you know, that's just something you just kind of have to sit with. He, he He's dealing with the worst parts of us. So he shielded us from it. And those who didn't want his shielding are subject to the chaos. Boy. Now that was the shortest chapter in Revelation. And I'm going to end it right there. I'm going to let you get a break. Because next week, I uh, I don't anticipate it being so short. We well, all be blessed. And until next time, I've been Reverend Kojo with Bible School.